friends welcome back to zach and brian watch the watchman uh we're in for a doozy this week zach we are talking about uh the seventh episode of watchman which is titled an almost religious awe which is a reference to something that dr manhattan says in the watchman comic he says often the Viet Cong asked me to surrender asked to surrender to me personally their terror of me balanced by an almost religious awe and uh we'll get to dr manhattan in uh, just a minute, but let's start at the very beginning here. So this episode is framed by flashbacks to Angela's um, childhood in Vietnam, and we've talked a lot, both on and off the air, along along with our friend, our friend uh, Greg Matasevich, about what is the saddest episode of Watchmen, and I feel like every episode gets sadder and sadder. But Angela's childhood was truly heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, she cannot catch a break um, in the most tragic of ways. Uh, so it, be- it begins with um, with her, uh, with Angela as a child in a store on VVN Day, which is the name of the the day that the Vietnam War was won by the United States, by Dr. Manhattan. Um, and we see the sort of the, the start of her uh, obsession with the, with the name Sister Knight. Um, what is this, Zach? Tell our listeners what, what this means. So, so we see her in a video rental store, and she's kind of you know perusing the racks, trying to find something to rent, and she comes across kind of a, you know, pulpy... Uh, I guess I, I'm, I'm maybe not using this uh, term or genre correctly, but is it kind of like, uh, I, I don't know exactly what the genre would be, but it's something something along the lines of like black Shaft or something. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay. I wasn't really sure if it was black. Spo- I, would, black I, I, I would say, I mean, I believe it says something like you don't mess with a... The, or you or, don't. No, it says the, you don't. It, it, no, it, it's the nun with a motherfucking gun. Is what it says. That's it. Yes, <laughs> and, yes. Uh, and her grandmother later says, like, you don't fuck with a sister night or something like that. That's what um, I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Yeah. Within that genre, um, but it is a you know an African American woman with a really large afro. Really kind of reminded me visually of like Misty Knight from the from Marvel comics. Like a very similar visual. Um, but in a nun outfit with the distinctive kind of uh, black face paint that uh, Angela will later go on to adopt. And so it, uh, you know, she is inspired by this uh, female black exploitation character, Sister Knight. Uh, and that's where she gets the name from directly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those things that probably didn't need to be explained. But when you get that little bit of explanation, it does add to your just overall sense of who Angela is. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, again, kind of a little on the nose, a, a little bit too much explanation, which is going to be a recurring thing f- for me with this episode. Well, um, I do want to note something about this episode, which is that this is the yeah. first episode not co-written by Lindelof. Interesting. Okay. And, and I felt... Um that it was a bit on the nose at times, too. Well, so I guess let me... There were three points in this episode, all before the first... All before the halfway point of the episode. Um, and and I will say that I did not care very much for the first half of this episode, the first 30 minutes or so. And there's a break point where it kind of flips, and I'll talk about that. But there are three points not not counting this in the episode um where i thought that it was very exposition heavy and and kind of referenced that in a tongue-in-cheek way 
but that still didn't necessarily take away from the fact that we were getting a big info dump that I felt were kind of info dumps for people who have never read Watchmen. Well, I would also say info dumps for people who maybe, I don't want to say people who, who aren't paying attention or whatever, but there are a couple of things that really did feel like a very, a very clear, like, all right, audience, if you've been slacking off, here are the things you're supposed to know. Sure. Um, and I don't, I don't love that stuff, uh, yeah. but I will say that I think that based on some of the discourse I'm reading online, maybe they do need that sort of stuff. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. We'll have to talk about it. I mean, do you want to get into, into that? Like, are there specific things that you're noticing that, that I just, are... See, again, like, we've talked about this since the show started, which is that you and I are observing this show in far more of a vacuum than we've ever probably been able to before. It's and glorious. It is It is <laughs> glorious in ways that uh, I'm sorry, listeners. If we could share this with just you guys, we would. Um, but, you know, like we get to make our own opinions about things before anybody else really um, before anybody else really has, an, has a thought on it, you know? It's such a novel way to engage with media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but so, like, because of that, there are things that I guess I can't unremember. You know what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. when I see someone with a take, it's like, you know, I, it's hard for me to put myself, okay, think about it. They haven't seen episode four yet. So blah, blah, blah. You know, and it makes it, it makes it a little bit trickier to, uh, to do that. But I, I just think there's a lot of people who are missing some of the big points here. Like mm-hmm. I saw somebody on Twitter, and I'm not going to call out a name. I saw somebody on Twitter basically saying that, at this point, they're not sure who to root for. And I just want to be like, there's, there's fucking white supremacists here. Like, they're white supremacists <laughs> who, who, are, oh. who are trying to wipe out, you know. Uh, but come on. How do you yeah, not know who yeah. to root for? Yeah, yeah. There's a very clear, um, <laughs> there's a very clear, like, force for, uh, I guess, if, if not... There is a positive force in this. The group who is not the white supremacists are the good guys yes, here. Even if you think uh, that they're problematic, which the, I think you're supposed to think. Which, I mean, that goes down, like, into a big rabbit hole of, like, um, you know, lesser of two evil politics and people <laughs> not feeling comfortable with besmirching any of their honor whatsoever. Uh, but I digress. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, but anyway, so let's sort of dig in. I don't, I don't want to do this one uh, kind of like we did last time. I want to do a similar thing where we just kind of pick out some some big beats here because okay. I think that that you know so much of what you learn in minute ten doesn't matter by minute fifty. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Um, so where do you want to few... start from? Um. Let's see. The first big thing that I have in my notes is the revelation that Looking Glass may still be alive. Yes. Okay. So uh, we see Petey at Looking Glass's house, and there are some dead 7K members, but he is missing. Um, Yes. And if there's no body, that generally means they are still alive. Right. Exactly. Or maybe he was captured by somebody, but he's certainly sure. not dead there. Yes, yeah. Uh, which I kind of, I kind of expected. Sure. I, I think it would have been very bold of them to kill him off off camera at the end of episode five, and yes, I think that would have been bold. But I also think that the character is going to be one of the more popular characters coming out of. HBO's Watchmen, and so I, I could see them wanting to explore the character a little bit more. Um, so I, yeah, this this turn of events did not surprise me, and I'm actually happy that we'll get to see uh, some more of Tim Blake Nelson's Looking Glass. So I, I do want to pause here and just talk about something Lindelof said. Did you see what he said about the future of the show? I saw that. I saw two quotes, something along the lines of. We'll be coming back. I'm interested in doing more or something along those lines. He basically said that he knows that um, 
he knows that there's going to be more more uh, Watchmen with or without him, and okay. you know, he is willing to come. He's he's willing to listen to offers to come back, but that he constructed this season as something that will answer quote most of the mysteries by the end of the season, mm-hmm. and that's that's really interesting because. I feel like there are so many mysteries still to be resolved and two episodes left after this one. Like, I, don't I know can actually see it. it, though. I, I could see it. I mean, I, you have the foreknowledge of also having watched episode eight, which I have not seen yet. <laughs> yes. Um, which after that, there is just one episode left. So I I I can see it wrapping up. I'm I'm surprised. I mean, we'll get to the end of this episode, but I, I can see it wrapping up in two more episodes, honestly. Um, but I, and I'm also interested, like, I'm, I'm thinking ahead already, and, I, you know, we haven't even talked about the big thing, but I don't know how this could keep going, honestly, in, in a very interesting way because of how big this season is going. Yeah, I, I, I understand that for sure. Um... I think that one of the things actually I did have an idea, but I'll <laughs> okay. save it for later. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that I, I think is so interesting about this show is that the 30 years between the book and the show is, is to the benefit of the show in a lot of ways. It mm-hmm. allows a lot of things to have changed without it seeming like they're taking too many risks with the source material. And I feel like a second season is always going to have the problem of not having that. Uh, unless mm-hmm. they said it 30 years in the future from now, which, go ahead, man, whatever. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for that. But, you know, um, I think that the show, though, like there are lots of things that you and I had talked about, specifically like Lori's past, which now some of that has been has been revealed through Back Matter stuff. But I thought mm-hmm. for sure we'd get like a Silk Spectre slash comedian um flashback episode in season two you know kind of the way we got we got the hooded justice flashback episode this season and things like that and so i'm i'm not upset at them leaving things unanswered if it doesn't come back um but i would like to i would like to spend more time in this world yeah i well i i think i would it it all just depends i i would be just as nervous as I was like going into this with Lindelof at the, at the head, like now I think he's kind of proven himself. Mm-hmm. I would be really nervous to hand this off to literally anyone else. Yes. Agreed. Again. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but we'll, we'll see, I guess I'll, we'll see how we feel once the series is over. That could be a big, so we could do a whole episode on speculation. Yeah, and we definitely should. Um, um, anything else on that point? No, I don't, I don't um, think so. I, I think we're we're pretty much uh, okay. We're we're, we're pretty good. Um, yeah, for that stuff. I I guess like I guess the other big thing from the scene that we see um, is that uh, Lori has recorded a bunch of um, Angela's nostalgia-induced ramblings. And has all she knows everything now, essentially. Yes, and so she goes to uh, the home of Judd Crawford to speak to his widow, and basically, and, and you know what's so good about Jean Smart as Laurie is you never know how much she's revealing. Mm-hmm. You know, she she plays everything pretty close to the vest, and so I don't know if she's suspected Mrs. Crawford as being part of this. And she's just sort of playing friendly, or if she sort of already knew it was up. What's what's the sense that you got from that scene? I think that she has probably suspected. Um, she certainly suspected. suspected yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, certainly from uh, you know the the episode where we find out that she has also gone in his closet and saw the the bear bust that remains and, and, you know, her comment about uh, men who think they're the good guys with, 
hidden closets uh, or, you know, hidden compartments in their closets or whatever. I, I don't really know um, what she's, how much she suspected. Um, she certainly seems surprised by the way things go down here. Yes. Well, I mean, part of the surprise is that she doesn't deny it at all. Uh, right. You know, she basically just says like, what, you didn't expect me to confess yet? And then uh, and then tries to use a sort of a janky remote control to drop her down a trapdoor. Which was absurd. I thought that she was going to use some kind of version of the like mind control lights. Like right, I thought yeah. maybe that's what that remote was. <laughs> and then it didn't work. And then she keeps pressing buttons. And then <laughs> the floor just drops out. <laughs> I actually wrote, oh my my, gosh. I wrote in my notes... Um, a fucking trap door. And then later, Gene Smart says a fucking trap door. So I felt justified in my language there. Um, oh. So <laughs> um, there are a couple of things that come up next that, that I do want to talk about just very quickly. And that's that we, we start to see a really dark underside. And that's the wrong word. Put it, like a, a dark part of young Angela's uh, psyche. Um, mm hmm uh and that is when she wants to listen in on the beating slash killing of the person responsible for the bomb that it kills her parents right which i i thought that that scene was really interesting because at this point you know vietnam is a u.s state right and for that kind of like justice to be you know air quotes justice to be being carried out in that way yeah i wonder if some of that is just the reality to um being thousands literally tens of thousands of miles away from the mainland sure that you know yeah. yes you can police that to a certain degree pardon the police pun but you're always going to be that far away yeah um yeah that was interesting um, but, but also interesting is Angela's, um, you know, response to the whole situation and, and, you know, we find out, um, why she wanted to become a cop. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was pretty, pretty chilling and, um, really great work again by the, the child actor who plays young Angela in this episode, a lot of great work from, from, young actors in in this series did you recognize her she looks really familiar where what should i know her from i meant to check beforehand did you see shazam yes She's okay darla. okay yes yes she is oh wow that is dark darla's so sweet i know i knew i recognized her oh my goodness that's that's twisted <laughs> <laughs> yes it truly is twisted um uh, yeah. So then we get um, we get a, a scene with, and I'm, I'm I can never pronounce your name. How do you pronounce the name of um, of True's daughter slash clone of her mother? B. Ooh, you just dropped that bomb. Uh, I did. Beyond. Beyond, I believe. Beyond. Yeah. Yeah. And so we find out that Beyond is is um, is a clone of of Lady True's mother. And that she is, um, she basically says that she's about to fulfill her life's work. She wants her parents there. And Angela says, yeah. your father is here. And she says, he will be. So I have some questions about that in a few yeah. minutes. Yeah, I think, I think we may have skipped the Vite scene. We have. We're, we're going to circle back. I'm purposely skipping okay, the Vite okay. scene. Okay, um, okay, okay. So, yeah. So well, I I just I just bring that out because um, the the scene with Beyond or I'm not sure if it's Beyond or Beyond if there's a G at the end. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, but um, that was the scene that started to turn the episode around for me because up to that point, I didn't love this episode, and I actually thought like it was the first like miss for the series so far. Okay. Um, there was one scene right before this. Beyond, B-I-A-N. Okay, 
be okay beyond there was one scene right before the beyond uh scene but uh after the bite scene where we learn a little bit more about cal's accident and we learn that he has complete amnesia following the accident which we find out was a car crash right which lady true seems very uh skeptical skeptical of of, yeah exactly um yeah which you know as she says it only happens a lot in soap operas which is true like that's <laughs> that's a very uh trope heavy that's in this used as a trope in a lot of different sort of cheesy media yeah or yeah i mean comic books uh video games <laughs> yes. um yeah a lot of pulpy storylines it's a really um, easy way to make your story interesting yeah um but anyway, so I did want to talk about about who uh, Lady True's father is. So to me, okay. there are three logical answers to this, two of which make more sense, one of which makes almost no sense. But hear me out on the three, okay? Okay. So the first is that we see that... Um, that she has a statue of Vite in her in her residence. And we know that mm-hmm. she bought Vite's company. Couldn't Vite be her father? Yeah, I think that that would be perfectly reasonable. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think that we know that Vite ever spent any um, amount of time in Vietnam. It's not really ever referenced in Watchmen, to my knowledge. No, but I mean, she he wouldn't have had but, to have a role in raising her. No, that's true. I'm trying now. I'm trying to think about how she. I guess she really hasn't talked much about her her childhood or anything. She says that she that she promised her mother she would never leave Vietnam. That's right. Yeah, but she doesn't talk about yeah. her father really. I think. I think that's reasonable, and I think it kind of maybe tracks with where things are going. It it would make sense. Who who are your other two? So this this one makes the least amount of sense in terms of being able to be brought back. Mm-hmm. But we know of a Watchmen character that has impregnated somebody in Vietnam before. Yeah, and that's the comedian. Yeah, which would make I... her <laughs> half siblings with Laurie. <laughs> Which would be very interesting. Yeah, I, I was, I have thought about that. Um, it, um, you know, I was trying to think about if they could do anything to make it, you know, you know the woman that uh, but we the see comedian her. shoots and kills, but she right. like clearly dies. And, yes. and like, she wouldn't have had, even if the child had survived somehow, you know, she wouldn't have. She couldn't have raised the child. Exactly, yeah. So that that couldn't be it. But I mean, it's very likely that he could have, yeah, had had another child with another woman. Yeah. And then the final one is uh, Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, I I don't like that one. I don't like that one either. Um, I like that even less than the other thing that is Doctor Manhattan related that we'll talk about a little bit later. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So, um, anyway, I, I do think we're going to find the answer to that mystery before this, before the show ends. I think that's, it would be really weird for them to not address that after mm-hmm. the way she talked about it. Do you agree? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So let's circle back to the Vite scene. So okay. <laughs> we get Vite on trial. Uh, how long has this it's, trial been going on for? Three three hundred and sixty five days. Yes, this is a year long trial. What, which which also goes into your like theory about you know these these scenes happening in the past because you get the impression either that the trial has been going on daily <laughs> for a long time and we haven't seen it, or you get the impression that this is one year after the last fight scene that we right. got. By the way, I just wanted, um, I just I just thought of something right now. You know how we saw Vite writing save me and then a D? What if he was saying save me daughter? 
Oh, that'd be really long. <laughs> Not any longer than Dr. Manhattan. He could just say doctor, though. <laughs> like, what if, he what could if even Dr. do Cosby, like DR? himself was, uh, was, oh, was no. You never know what oh, doctor no. you're going to get. Dr. Kevorkian. Uh, you're right. You're right. You know, there are lots of doctors out there. Dr. Oz, you don't want that guy coming for you. Dr. Phil. No. What, or or Jor-El. <laughs> that is Mr. Oz, Mr. though. Oz, He's Mr. Yes. Oz. That would, that would <laughs> I do it every in, time. That would tie into DC, which is... Uh, uh. Yes. Anyway. Um, okay, so... Uh, anyway, so <laughs> we hear the prosecutor, who is, of course, a Crookshanks, uh, you know, uh, argue her case in front of the game warden. And mm-hmm. and then we <laughs> we see Vite's closing arguments. And what what exactly is his closing argument? It is one loud longish fart. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just flatulence. Um, it's pretty gross. <laughs> it is pretty gross. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't care for this scene. I have a much lot of questions all. about this scene. I don't I feel like it is the least um intriguing or um you know question provoking of any of the vite sequences so far. Um it, I felt like every other vite scene so far has given us some kind of interesting insight into the vite situation that we could never have like intuited on our own, but I felt like this sequence told us nothing i i think this was the first i i feel like this was a pretty clear um indication that the the crookshanks and the uh phillips phillips yeah that's right were created by dr manhattan um because they mentioned you know something about having a creator mm-hmm. um but like I mean that that's something that like I had guessed a few episodes ago. So sure. it's not and it's not even explicitly stated, so it could still be wrong. Um I I I, I just didn't feel like there was anything too compelling here. So here are my sort of two conflicting thoughts about this episode this sequence rather. The first is that you get the impression that Vite was pretty bored by his life pre-trial, right? That's why he is sort of stepping outside of the predetermined land that he has been assigned to or whatever. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting a lot of sort of just this sense of, like, this this ennui that is going on that he just is bored. And th- But you also get the impression that Vite is smart enough to sort of make his own fun to sort of deal with the boredom in ways and to quote to, to imagine him sitting there for a year, I just can't imagine that Vite isn't smart enough to get out of that situation and not have to sit through that boring fucking trial for a year. Yeah. Did you get the impression that maybe he actually does have some degree of um uh Maybe maybe he does feel somewhat penitent at this point. Like he he does feel shame for his actions. I don't know because his closing arguments would, would was a fart. You, yeah, yeah but but then he actually yeah yeah. But then you know the final scene we see of him is he is actually crying. You know he has like one lone sad tear. And see, um, I kind of read that as he's bored to tears. Interesting. Okay. Just because, yeah, that could, I mean, like, about the scene. Gosh, going through one year of this would be enough to just like drive anyone insane. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, the The other thing I, the other problem I have with this scene, and this is kind of going back to the um, the exposition scene, we get a very long, drawn out recap of everything he did in both Watchmen and in yes. the series. You know, just. Which I understand, like, it's supposed to be kind of like a long-winded, excruciatingly boring trial, but that it just did not make for very compelling television. 
No, this episode overall felt like in almost all of the stories a necessary bridge to get us to the end game, but it's mm-hmm. not yeah. the most interesting of bridges. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. There are definitely interesting moments and and things that happen um you know like the trap door um and and a few things that are going to happen the be the beyond revelation and then a few things that we still have to talk about yes um Um, yeah so i want to talk about one thing a little bit out of order here just because i want to then put that behind us we can sort of talk about the meat that we haven't talked about yet and that Mm -hmm. is the scene with young angela and her grandmother Okay. Yeah. So um, we get the you know we, we see June, who we saw last episode, uh, who is again the baby wrapped in the American flag from the pilot, who was the the wife of Hood of Justice, who is the mother of um, Will's son and Angela's father, and we see her come to Vietnam to try and take Angela back to Tulsa, and then, you know. We just, I mean, just minutes after they are they are connected, we see June drop dead of a heart attack, presumably. Mm-hmm. And just this continued yeah. heartbreak for young Angela. Yeah. Um, but then we don't, you know, we still don't really know what happens to her after that. Yeah, I guess, you know, she had this promise of a new life in in Tulsa. Um, but I also, I, maybe this was just me, but I, I kind of got the impression that she felt a little unsure about it all. I, I don't know. Which which party felt unsure? Uh, Angela. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, Angela, do we do we know is she ten? Is that worse? No, she has to be younger than that, right? She said no. Well, she she uh, okay. So it depends on how you're supposed to take a line from present day Angela. It was her tenth birthday. She says right. Yeah, which like you know that was clearly a lie, but I don't know if that's supposed to mean she was also ten at the time that her parents died. Well, she she was she was Um, no more than ten, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and so. You know, I guess just when her whole life was thrown into upheaval and then there's this like savior that presents itself as going to take you out of this bad situation, no matter how happy you would be, you would also probably be somewhat skeptical of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A really interesting uh, bit of foreshadowing for later in the episode um, as Angela is looking on at her, you know, now deceased grandmother the camera pans back and we see uh, a mural of dr manhattan um with graffiti scrawling out something along i think it, it says like murderer and he has like devil horns yep over his head which which almost made me wonder if and my i i question this even more in light of the end of the episode was Dr. Manhattan taking an active role in Angela's life? Interesting. Like, is is he the cause of her misfortune? Right, like, is he setting her up for something? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay, so, so let's let's jump into the real meat of it here. So we see we see Lori. Um, still captured in, as she calls it, an abandoned Sears, and uh, which is you know the, the... or I think J.C. Penney's, I think actually. Oh, did you say J.C. Penney's? Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know what, Sears? Have you watched the the Righteous Gemstones? On HBO? I have watched the first few episodes of it. Yeah. Okay, so th- th- they open a a uh, a worship center in an abandoned Sears. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. okay. Sorry, okay. confusing my excellent excellent HBO properties here. Um, yes, yes. But so, uh, and then she she gets to speak to Senator Bob Benson a bit uh, about his plan, and he he tries to do the Bond villain thing of telling her his whole plan, and she basically says, "I'm tired. I don't give a shit. You can tell me if you want to, but I don't care." And so he he does thankfully spare us a bit of the diatribe that we get because I could after all the exposition we got in this episode. We couldn't take any more exposition. 
Um, but basically, he confirms that, yes, the 7th K is sort of an outreach of Cyclops. And mm-hmm. um, that they are not racist. They just want to return this country to the principles upon which it was founded, which is exactly what a racist oh, would say. Oh, <laughs> it hurts. Because well, we all know people who talk that way. We do, and then and then we we've definitely heard people say the thing that he says next, but not the thing that he says after that. Right, he says it's very hard to be a white man in America right now, which not true, never been true. Not a, L- literally, no, has never been no. true. <laughs> um, but then uh, he says, "So I thought, <laughs> what about being a blue one, or maybe I try being a big blue one?" Yes. Oh, <laughs> so, so you know we get we get these uh, hints dropped throughout the episode that they're gonna that you know like uh, Mrs. Crawford says that you know uh, Keen was going to be president but that seemed kind of small right and mm-hmm. so we know yeah. that, that there's something brewing here but he wants to turn himself into Doctor Fucking Manhattan right right which we also got a nod. In an earlier episode, I can't remember which one, but there was an offhand remark about, uh, you know, speculation that the Russians were trying to recreate a Dr. Yes. Manhattan situation as well. Yes, exactly. Um, which is now pertinent bit of foreshadowing. Um, yeah, so that's what they're doing. They're trying to turn Keen into into Dr. Manhattan to Electric Boogaloo. Um, what do you think which... of this revelation? I think it's great. I I think it's fantastic. I think it like is in line with like what we saw of the seventh K and Cyclops in episode five. I think on a weird meta level, the idea of like trying to create a second Dr. Manhattan in a like very controversial Watchmen sequel is so fitting. Um, I think it works on that level as well. Um, It's the question of, you know, should this be done? Who knows, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, And and even also on that level, the revelation that they're they're all, you know, we find out, find this out in in a few more scenes, but they are going to try to capture the original Dr. Manhattan, destroy him, and then make themselves into Dr. Manhattan. Right. I guess, you know, uh, there, there are sort of two two ways to read that one being that they were going to try and like extract the Manhattanness from him and put it into Keen uh-huh. or, or that they felt like Dr. Manhattan could stop this plan. So they have right. to stop Dr. Manhattan first, which I think is the more likely one. Um, I do too. I do too. And I, you know, it's very interesting, you know, maybe there have been some advances in technology, but you have to wonder how much they actually know because Vite has tried to do this before as well, not become Dr. Manhattan, but to trap in, you right. know, neutralize Dr. Manhattan. Right. And and again, like one of the things that the show has been cagey about is we don't know how much everybody knows about various moments in Watchmen history. Right. So we have no way. I mean, we presume people don't know that Vite tried to do that. Even even the 7th sure. K probably isn't aware of that. Um, right. But yeah, so um, so we find out that Senator Bob Benson wants to be Dr. Manhattan. You know, I, I don't I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I think that that line of thinking makes a lot of sense. Like if you look at the internal logic of the show, my mm-hmm. one my one fear is just that it feels a little bit Return of the Jedi Death Star 2 to me. Like, yeah. You know, but I, I think that that's more of a commentary on the seventh K and Cyclops and still being butthurt about losing in a way. Sure. That, I mean, that kind of gets into like the whole banality of evil idea and how, you know, there is no original idea. There is only like conquest for power in the most like gaudy and obscene way. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the idea. Um, I think how it's executed is going to be is going to say a lot about sort of how we feel about this. Yeah, sure. At the, at the end of it, mm-hmm. um, so there are a couple of little things here. I just want to mention because I don't think that they're necessarily all that important, but they're just kind of fun 
yeah. things like that uh, Angela is not in fact hooked up to her grandfather as she thought but hooked up to an elephant the note I wrote after seeing that is an elephant never forgets yes of course um, Obvi- obviously when detoxing someone from nostalgia you, you hook them up to an elephant yes of course um, <laughs> uh, we also see that uh Lady True has um, the most ridiculous TV, <laughs> like TV situation in the world, where there's a giant uh, globe that if you touch it, you can see bits from messages. Doctor Manhattan, like that is the type of thing that no billionaire would ever have, no trillionaire. It's the dumbest TV contrivance of all time. Yeah, it was goofy. I mean, it's um, fun. It, right, it's fun, but it's it's just it's really silly. But you know, but you know that. Jack has like uh like a room with a, a billion TV screens. Well one screen for every Twitter user on the planet and and he just reads all of our tweets at the same time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um and then um so then we get a little bit of of True and Angela laying their cards on the table. And Angela says to True, you know, what are you doing and you can't say it's saving the fucking world? And she basically says, no, that's exactly what I'm doing. 7th K is going to try and recreate Dr. Manhattan. And, you know, we have to, and she says, Dr. Manhattan's not on Mars. He's walking around here on Earth, here on Tulsa. And Angela walks out of the room and she basically says, are you going to eat? You're not even going to ask me who it is. And Angela doesn't reply. Why, yeah. doesn't, why doesn't she reply, Zach? Well, I do want to say it's interesting that it seems like the person who informed Lady True about this was Will, or yes. he's the one who gave you know gave her the idea essentially, which is a callback to his claim that he is Doctor Manhattan. But no, he's not Doctor Manhattan. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, who is? Because uh, Angela goes home and she's frantically looking for something, and Cal comes in. And he's just like, what's Cal, up? And Cal, who is reading for whom the bell tolls. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Yeah, oh. little, little on the nose there, Damon. Yeah, yeah. So um, we get, you know, a little bit. You don't. I had no idea where this scene was going at first. Like, I, I wondered, but I, you get the impression more that uh, Angela's like getting ready to run, you know, because she, she is uh, under the, she's under arrest. Her fellow officers are trying to apprehend her. Um, but she gets a hammer. <laughs> yeah, and she's thanking Cal like for being a good husband and a good father, and all of that. And uh, yeah, and then that silver hammer, yes, came down comes upon, down his, upon head. his head. <laughs> the one thing that she says to him: "Time to come out of the tunnel." Yeah, and and, and then she calls him John. That's and not then, my name. What was that? I said, that's not my name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's and, what Cal says. Yeah, and then she beans him in the fucking head with a hammer. And Multiple not, times. Yes, and then sticks her fingers in his gooey brain and pulls out, like, essentially a steel version of Dr. Manhattan's like, head symbol. Yeah, and then we see kind of in the reflection of her eyes... And the glow on her skin uh, of Cal turning blue. <laughs> and then she says, hey, baby, we're in fucking trouble. And then an instrumental version of Life on Mars plays. <laughs> and uh, and we're out. I, I, this, this revelation is insane. It is insane. I mean, I, I wrote down just like what the actual fuck and like. I don't think I like this very much right now. Like in a vacuum with no other explanation, I don't think I like this. Yeah, I I don't. Here's my problem with it. Okay, and, and again, I am trying to to erase the memory of the hour of television I watched after this because uh-huh. this is addressed I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that this will be addressed next time a little bit right sure sure um, what I what I liked about the show what I like about the show 
and I alluded to this in my in my written review of episode six, is that every episode introduces something that if it was introduced just one week earlier, you would never have bought. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a lot of trust that has been built up in the audience here. And so, like, you know, a giant magnet pulling Will in a car off the ground in the second episode seemed like the wildest thing we were going to see. And that's nothing now, right? That is that is literally nothing right. now. And so it just it, the the stakes have been have been ramping up as the show has been going on. And so this is a big this is this is a big thing to be busting out at this point in the show. But it feels to me like it's not really a um this doesn't feel like the Angela we've spent 5 episodes 6 episodes with. Seven episodes. Right. No, it doesn't. And um, that's my big problem. I, I am less mad at the idea of Dr. Manhattan being on Earth. However you want to frame that. I'm fine with that idea. I'm even fine with it being Cal. What I'm not okay with is that Angela knew all of this. I mean, I guess it just shows how deceptive and how layered and how whatever she is. Um but it just doesn't seem like the Angela I've gotten to know over the past seven hours. Right. It feels very, very out of left field. And I think like there, it is just coming out of nowhere for me. And I just don't, I I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It uh where well, I I guess like we are we are led to believe that they they concocted this scheme to turn Dr. Manhattan into a, a mortal man, Cal, so that they could be together. But like Cal was a completely different person afterward. You know, and if they did this because, you know, somehow for whatever reason John and Angela fell in love with each other. Why would, how, what, like turning Dr. Manhattan into a human who is not Dr. Manhattan because you love him. That doesn't make sense. Well, okay. So, (laughs) you know, can I continue my Superman stuff here? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. This is Superman too. But it's not though. Well, okay. Because so, like Clark is still Clark. Well, no. So the way when I first saw this, I was I was I was torn between what you just said. That like, oh, was this because she loved because they were in love and they wanted like a normal relationship or whatever? Or was it that she was protecting Dr. Manhattan. Like this was for his safety. Like he was going, like he was in trouble. He was in danger of being found out by the seventh K or whatever it is. And so, and so he was like, he was essentially hiding in plain sight so that he wouldn't be, uh, so that that he wouldn't be apprehended or whatever. But then it makes no sense to bust him out now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I really, like, am sure that there will be some kind of explanation that I will or will not like. But just on at, at face value, just with this reveal, I am both uh, in awe of the audacity yes. of it, but also I don't necessarily like the pivot that it takes the show in after everything that we've seen so far Uh, it feels a little too out of left field and it and it changes the scope of kind of it it takes angela from this kind of you know street level character to something much bigger which does not really uh, it, it just doesn't really fit for how i perceive the characters so far in the show not that they can't like make that pivot and make it work it just it's gonna take a lot of explaining yes i agree um 
can I tell you what this sort of felt like to me, but a a bigger and less effective version of? Sure. The revelation that, oh, now I can't remember his character's name, Justin Thoreau on the leftovers. What's his first name? Uh, Kevin. Kevin. The Kevin. And I feel like when that first happened, I was like, this is a bit much. But then I got very much sold on that idea. Mm-hmm. And I think that the show can sell me on this idea too, but I feel like, I don't know. I guess it's a similar reveal, right? In terms of scope. Like Kevin goes from being a cop who can, you know, who who has like some weird <sighs> stuff going on to being somebody who literally can. I guess, I guess so. But I think even that works a little bit better for me because Kevin is special. I think we are led to believe that over the course of the events of season two. So that when we get to that point, it doesn't even feel that out of left field. It feels natural to me. This Angela is special, but not in this way. She's not special in that she has some kind of intimate relationship with Dr. Freaking Manhattan, (laughs) you know, like, that feels like some kind of like weird original character power fantasy thing that I, I just, it feels very fan fictiony to me, which inherently that's what this is, but this is the most fan fictiony that I think the show has felt so far. I will agree with that. Um, yeah, I don't love this and I will say I watched this episode twice. I, I try uh-huh. and watch everyone two or three times before writing and talking about it, um, if I if I have the time. And I feel like it went down a little smoother the second time, uh-huh. which I think is is pretty common of of a lot of media, right? The second when it's not a surprise, you can um, when it's not a surprise, you you can look for things you know, more, more, uh, more liberally and you're not focused Mm -hmm. on like the story beats. And so it all makes a little more sense. And so I think that if you look at the show kind of as a whole, Dr. Manhattan hasn't come up with Angela all that much. And the only time it really does, she says, you know, um, uh, well, first of all, it also will says, you know, maybe I'm Dr. Manhattan. And she says, you're not Dr. Manhattan. He's on fucking Mars. And so you know that she's lying about the Mars part, but you know that now she knows he's not Dr. Manhattan, which which is interesting. And then uh, she tells Cal he says he's Dr. Manhattan, and Cal says he's on Mars. Right. But Cal doesn't know he's Dr. Manhattan. No, Cal does not know he's Dr. Manhattan. Um, But so, like, I think that's pretty much the only time that Angela has interacted with that idea. Of Doctor Manhattan, and so mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise. Like it's not. It would bother me more, I think, if there were lots of scenes of her talking about Doctor Manhattan, and then for her, like if she was playing dumb the whole time, to everybody who was asking her about this, and then mm-hmm. you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah, I I have one take that I'm just like going through in my head right now, kind of like rationalize everything. Go for it. And well, that I think also like going into like the fan fictiony thing at first, like I think my initial reaction is like it's a bit much that not only is she the granddaughter of the first masked vigilante in the uh-huh. Watchmen universe and like the most important one, but now she is also connected to Doctor Manhattan. But in that way, I think that it works on two levels. Maybe one, the fact that we now know what she knows it does make sense how she is able to work and adapt to everything that happens in the season and really not even bat an eye at it. That is very true. Yes. And also it creates like a really interesting parallel between her and Lori. Yes, that's true. Um, both descendants of famous mass vigilantes and also, closely tied to Dr. Manhattan. 
and maybe that says something about Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. He has a type. Yeah, he does. <laughs> the costume um, adventuring type. Yeah, so... And I, I, those are ways that, like, and if I, I don't know if that's where any of these things are going to go, but I, I'm kind of like, I still don't love it, but I'm talking myself into it a little bit more. I think it's it's such a bold move mm-hmm. that I could see a lot of people dropping the show at this point. <laughs> yeah, which um, I, which would suck with just two episodes left to go. Sure, yes. Um but I will also say that I um, I think that it's one of those things that you almost have to just take this leap with the show, see where it's finally going, and make mm-hmm. your judgment at the end of it. And I know that's what you're supposed to do with all media, but serialized media is very hard to do that with, especially when you're talking about it week to week like we are. But I think that when you look back at the end of the show, there might be a lot more clues to what were, or a lot more connective tissue than we thought with all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The one, the one thing that I will also say about this reveal is that I think it somewhat undercuts the tone of the pilot and second episode. Mm-hmm. Which was very much. This is this is a world that looks like our world. This feels very much like our day to day existence with with some with some obvious changes there, but and it was sort of it was interesting to see how the events of thirty years ago had settled into normalcy, almost like and this is this is a dramatic example, but I feel like it's hard to imagine at. 8 p.m. on September 11th, 2001, that anyone would ever make 9/11 jokes. But yeah. but but we but we've gotten to a place in the world where you have to like you can't walk around crying all the time, right? And so you have to you have to move on. So that happens when somebody in your life dies, or you know your relationship breaks up, whatever it is. Like in the moment, it seems like your life will never be the same again, and it never is really the same. But it gets close enough that you can sort of fake it. And I feel like. Mm-hmm. What I liked about the show was at the end of Watchmen, when this squid bomb goes off and all that, you wonder, like, how can the world recover from this? And the show kind of says, like, well, the way everybody recovers from everything. And, yeah. But, but when you put Dr. Manhattan back into it, I feel like it undercuts that theme. In some way, like, no, the world isn't back to normal. It was just a hoax. Everything's still fucking weird. Yeah, I almost really did kind of hope that Dr. Manhattan would not show up in this series, which Same. was maybe a lot to hope. <laughs> um, you know, I guess they haven't resurrected a comedian yet. When that happens, I will I will say the show is bad. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's part of it also, too, is just like I, I did not want Dr. Manhattan to be in the season. But that's just me. Yeah. Or um, at least not in this prominent of a way. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, uh, I guess you could like start thinking about like the like Christocentric themes that this arises that God was made man once again. <laughs> and if they're going to touch on any of that, but, uh, yeah, I had a, I had a similar thought. In that, like, um, you know, like, so, is this how Doctor Manhattan regains his humanity? Right. Yes. Absolutely. I I, I thought of that. Uh, I also thought of um, how this this is sort of an inversion of the classic like uh, invasion of the body snatchers type story, where somebody mm-hmm. looks and sounds like somebody you love, but you know that it's not really them. Yeah, that this is the 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 inverse of that, where Doctor Manhattan doesn't look or sound like he did, but we know he's in there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know. There's this is certainly the episode that I've left feeling the most uncertain about how I feel about it. 
But thank goodness this show is taking chances. It certainly is doing that. Um, yeah, I almost wonder now between episode six and episode seven, which one is going to be the well, I guess we can say episode six is out now and it seems to have pretty much universal acclaim, at least yes. from the circles that I follow and frequent. Um, Although we will say we should mention that it looks like uh, Fred Trump was was the inspiration for one of the characters, which is the amazing. wildest. Yeah. Anybody, if you haven't seen this, you know, there are I've seen like multiple sites kind of commenting on it um you know the the ft and sons um fred yeah yeah the grocery which there there are a lot of interesting parallels you know i think fred trump had the first grocery or first supermarket in queens um he was notoriously associated with one particular uh kkk rally at one point never fully you know tied to it or nailed to it but uh seems to be something that has lingered for the past 90 years um <laughs> yeah so oh big collar tugs <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely um so yeah and i get the sense that I mean, episode three was a big one because of the Laurie stuff. Mm-hmm. Episode four was a big one because the lady true of it all made it feel a lot more mystical and lost-like than earlier episodes had. Episode five was a big one because of all the Looking Glass stuff. Episode six was a big one because of all of the... Um, uh, Huge revelations about uh, why well, can't I think of the hooded justice stuff? Yeah, and then episode seven is now the big one because of this. Like, it just seems like every episode is just ramping up more and more. And I mean, I'm here for it. Look, when we signed up for a Watchmen, well, first of all, we did not sign up for a Watchmen show, we didn't have a say in this, but when it was announced, it just seemed to me like if it didn't go big then what's the point? And this has certainly gotten big. It's gotten big. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and it Again, I think that's kind of like what I meant when um, I said, you know, I don't know where this is going to go next because it is going so big. You know, I don't know how they could both end this season in a satisfying way and then also still have more story for subsequent seasons, unless it takes on some kind of weird anthology approach, which... I mean, that could maybe be interesting, but again, you know, I don't, this just season is going so big. Um, my idea was maybe this is going to end up in some kind of weird alternate reality fractured multiverse thing, you know, <laughs> Watchmen gets multiverse. Um, but even then, I don't, you know, I don't know. Real quick, I just want to, before we wrap up, I just want to talk about the things that we feel the last two episodes sort of need to address to wrap up this mm-hmm. season effectively. We need we need closure on Looking Glass in some sense. Right? Yeah, I would say that's one of the smaller things, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's probably um, the third biggest character on the show at this point, right? Right, right. But I, I don't know what kind of closure just, he necessarily needs other than like... Just, is he alive or is he dead, essentially? Like, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I I think we need some sort of... Um, I mean, the, the Dr. Manhattan of it all, right? That's certainly a big, mm-hmm. a big thing we have to talk about. But I think we need uh, some will rev- uh, resolution there of some mm-hmm. sort. Yeah, it was interesting. We didn't see him at all in this episode. No, we didn't. Um, we also didn't see Looking Glass at all, and we didn't see um, there's somebody else too. We didn't see at all. I guess we saw Cal at the very end. Um, yeah, but I, I do think that there needs to be some sort of thing with with True's father. I think that's very important at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need. I think. I think Beyond isn't is going to play a bigger role in all of this. Just because she's been set up that way, I think that there's probably 
need for a Laurie and John scene. If Dr. Manhattan is going to be a, like a part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Keen is going to need to get his comeuppance in some way. Or win, I guess. I mean, that would be bold, <laughs> you know, if if he actually does become Doctor Manhattan. Um, yeah, you know. gosh. Oh, I hope we do not. I I hope so much that we do not get like a two Doctor Manhattans a fighting. Doctor Manhattans. Yes, I agree. That would be worse than Doctor Manhattan and Superman fighting. I think. <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and uh, that those might be the big ones, you know. There's a lot of like smaller personal stuff. Like I, I do think one of my first thoughts was like, "Oh God, how do you explain this to the kids?" Oh gosh, yeah, uh. <laughs> you know. Uh, so I don't know. Uh. There, there, there's a lot that we're gonna have to talk about in the next few weeks. Yeah. Um, I also realized I have to look this up now. Uh but I believe we are going to get a situation where the season finale of Watchmen is a Sunday and then the finale of Doomsday Clock is that next. It it is. Yeah, because I made the I don't I made the joke on Twitter a few weeks ago that all of the season of Watchmen is going to come out between issues 11 and 12 of Doomsday Clock. But isn't that true? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I want to say that the show's announcement happened after the publication of Doomsday Clock number one. It, I I, that the show was conceived, produced, see, and aired in the time it took to make the show. In the that actually, comic. I think, is true as well, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it's been over two years since Doomsday Clock started. Yes. Um, but I also I just think it's hilarious that this one season came out between the final two <laughs> issues of that book. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. It is. It is. Well, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. This was a bonkers episode to talk about. And um, next episode is... um, I'm not going to say anything. It's a doozy. It's called God Walks Into a Bar. And uh, come back in a week and and hear us try and make sense of, of more of this crazy, crazy show. If you would like to... Uh, get in touch with us beforehand. You can use the Z and B Watchmen uh, hashtag. You can tweet at us directly. Zach is at WilkerFox. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And when you're wondering if you should continue to watch The Watchmen, remember that Zach and Brian will always watch The Watchmen. <laughs>